If you're anything like me, over the last year, you started to amass a collection you never thought you would have had. Over the last year, I began collecting face masks. I mean, I've had wonderful face masks given to me that were fantastic, but they were worn so much they wore out. I have face masks that are just, you know, a classic black, so I look fancy and, you know, elegant wherever I go. I have face masks that are way too small for me, so they pull my ears forward and they actually kind of hurt. I have face masks in case I get stuck in the woods and I want to chop down a tree. I have holiday-oriented face masks just because, you know, you want to be festive. I even have disposable single-use face masks just because you never know when you need a disposable single-use face mask. I have so many masks, I started to feel like Jim Carrey in the 90s. Somebody stop me! We have been wearing masks for over a year to protect each other. With the simple idea that that mask would block things coming out of us that could make you sick. So I've been wearing a mask to protect you. You've been doing the same. But truthfully, a lot of us have been wearing masks that protect ourselves a whole lot longer than a year. Because, not because I didn't want to hurt someone else or harm them, but I wanted to protect myself. I would hide behind masks of my job, masks of, you know, who I am in front of people, behaving a certain way. I would hide behind masks of my education. I'd hide behind these masks so people wouldn't get too close to me. And the problem when we hide behind masks is sometimes we start to think that's who we are. When we keep wearing different masks to say, I don't want you to get too close, we start to develop in ourselves an identity based on those things we're putting in front to protect ourselves. And so a lot of us, when we go into social settings, maybe for the first time, we get asked like, hey, what do you do? What's your job? And you tell them, and that starts to become who you are. Because it's a surface level relationship. You don't go any deeper. And so you start to identify with your job. Or they ask, do you have kids? Or are you married? Did you go to school? We get asked all these kinds of surface level questions. And many of us, to stay safe, hide behind them. And we hide behind them for so long that we adopt them in our identity. But the challenge comes. The challenge comes what happens when that mask is taken off. When we center our sense of self on one particular attribute of our identity and then define everything else by it and then lose it, what do we do? We've faced this in our lives. I know you have. I know I have. You've had moments maybe in your job where you were very successful in your job and you did it for a long time and then you retired. Were you just your job? Who are you now? You've had moments where, you know, you were really cool in elementary school. Everybody loved you because you had the best Pokemon cards, but then you went into high school and nobody really cared about Pokemon. Well, who were you? You graduated high school, top of your class, you end up in college or university, and it's way harder, and you're just average. We hide behind these parts of us 
and say they are us. And then when they disappear, we can lose ourselves. Many of us don't know who we really are. We define ourselves by our children. And then what happens when they're not there anymore? They don't live with you. We define ourselves by our marriage. What happens if something tragic happens or you divorce? We define ourselves by our jobs. What if there's mass layoffs or you retire? We define ourselves by so many things that we lose ourselves in the process. So who are you really? That's the question I want to explore with you this morning. Because I think at the center of everything, we deeply want to know ourselves because we feel if we know ourselves, we can do things that bring us joy, fulfillment, contentment. We can feel secure. We can find our place in this world. So who are you really? To discover that, I think we need to start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, human beings come on the scene for the first time. In this beautiful poem that describes how God created something out of nothing, and he brought order to chaos, he says he made human beings, in verse 26, in his own likeness, in his own image. You and I were made like God. What does that mean? It does not mean we were made to be the creators of the universe, that we were the all-powerful, the all-knowing. It means we were created with purpose, distinction, to be separate from everything else, and to have a meaning when we are aligned with the one who created us. Now, if you're familiar with the story, or if you were in our last sermon series just a few weeks ago, you know that that good image of God made in us got shattered. Sin enters the scene. And sin means to miss the mark. And when human beings missed the mark, their identity was shattered. They missed the mark on being fully who they were always meant to be. So who were they? As history unfolded and we explored just a little while ago in the Big Picture series, people kept trying to figure that out. And they kept trying to follow God, and then they forgot, and then all kinds of bad things happened. But there comes a point where everything changes. And who we are can become incredibly clear, even if it was shattered by sin. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And this church at Ephesus was like any church. It had its problems. It had its good things. And it was trying to figure out what it really means to be the church. It's what every church was trying to figure out. And so as they're trying to figure it out, they're trying to figure out who they are in the midst of that. What does it mean to be you? And one of the things that the Apostle Paul does in all of his letters, pretty much, is he tries to establish a way of thinking that should influence the way we behave. He wants us to have right thinking, right beliefs, so that our actions can be aligned and right with them. And so he begins this letter to the church in Ephesus trying to establish some right thinking with them. 
He wants them to understand who they are and why it matters. And then he's going to transition to how they should behave. We'll get to that some point in our time here. But for this week and for the next few weeks, I want us to look at what we believe about who we are. And the Apostle Paul actually does something incredibly clear in the first chapter of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, he begins to describe who you and me and everybody is. And he starts to describe it like this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He starts off, praise God for who God is. This God has given us more than we can imagine, even if we're not seeing and experiencing it right now. And he says, this God chose you, chose me, even before we knew we could be chosen. And he sees us holy, meaning separate, set apart, meant for something, and blameless without fault, in his sight. That doesn't mean that you're blameless, like you've done nothing wrong, but it means when he sees you, he doesn't see the wrong you've done. He sees you as something different. He sees you as more. For many of us, we can't get past that blameless idea. We don't see ourselves as blameless. We see everything we've ever done wrong. That time in grade two when you stole an eraser, you didn't really mean to steal it, but you just never gave it back. You remember you're not blameless. That time when you ran the red light getting to church, you remember you're not blameless. That time you had a fight with your spouse and you knew you were wrong, but you dug your heels in, you know you're not blameless. You don't see yourself that way, but someone does. Someone who knew you before you were made saw you to be holy, set apart, meant for more, and blameless. Doesn't mean that you've never done anything wrong, but that's not what he sees. He sees you blameless. He doesn't hold your wrongs against you. And we're going to get to why. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In his own desire, he adopted us to be his family. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Jesus, he has given us a gift to be his children. So when we see ourselves as full of blame, see all the wrong we did and wish we didn't, he sees us as holy and blameless because in Jesus, he has adopted us. We are his family. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Jesus, you are redeemed. When you see yourself for the wrongs you've done, God sees you as blameless and set apart because in Christ, there was a price paid for those wrongs. You didn't pay it. God did in giving himself in the person of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption of our lives. In Christ, you're forgiven. No wrong is held against you. In Christ, he chose you before you knew you could be chosen. He chose you to demonstrate his good, pleasing will in this world. He chose you to show his love. Paul is establishing a way of thinking for this church in Ephesus and for us that begins with an understanding of who we are. And who you are is not so much what you've done, but who has chosen you and who you find yourself in. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal in him, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is setting out a standard of understanding. First, who is God? God is the creator of the universe who chose you. Now, some of us get a little stumped with some of the words here, predestined, chosen. We think, well, that means some people aren't chosen. Some people aren't predestined. And I don't believe that. I believe God has chosen all of us, but not all of us respond. Because Paul actually makes it clear is that those who are included heard the message of truth and believed. Not everyone believes. So I believe God has invited all people. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what belief system you've had. Doesn't matter what you believe about yourself. He invites all people to know him, to be chosen for something better than they could imagine, but not everybody responds to it. My hope is everybody would. 
And I believe our responsibility is to invite people to respond to that, to share with them the good news of Jesus who has redeemed us, who has made us forgiven so that God sees us holy and blameless and has purpose for us. And so we invite people into that and God responds by offering us a seal, a guarantee that this is a relationship that lasts. It's so very important that he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. That language that gets used is the same as when a emperor in the time of Paul would seal a decree or a letter and say, this is final. There's no breaking it. They would seal it with wax. Sometimes they would seal it with other things, but they would seal it and say that this is the final word on this topic. Paul says the evidence that the Holy Spirit is with you, is with me, is with everybody who responds to him, is evidence, is proof that God sees you as holy and blameless in his sight. And nothing will change that if you continue to understand this in yourself. The way God sees you is as you really were always meant to be. But sin shattered that image. Sin distorted our understanding. Our thoughts shape us. What you believe will come out in how you behave. And if you come to know yourself by what you do, by what you've earned, you will behave like that. But if you listen to Paul here, as you let God shape your beliefs about yourself and you start to see that it's not what you've done, but that you were chosen, you were made for this, that you were made to be in Christ and that in Christ you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are more than you could ever be on your own. That shattered image of self that distorted understanding that sin brought in was reconstructed, rebuilt, made how it was always supposed to be in Christ. And only in Christ can we really know who we are because that's where the healing of that sin exists. When we look at ourselves as full of wrong and blame or we define ourselves by one attribute and we center and focus in on it, We are missing the gift that God has given us to know who we really are in Christ. We think we are masters of our own identities. But without Jesus, our sorrows, our insecurities, our struggles, and our failures, they begin to define us. To be an image bearer, to find our identity in Christ— First, we got to submit ourselves to his authority. To understand that he is the one who is restoring that broken, shattered image. And no mask we put in front of it will change that. We've been trying for years to fix it ourselves, but we can't. Masks just cover. They don't heal. In Christ, there is healing. That shattered, broken image 
that thing inside of you that's missing can be found in Christ and only in Christ. What happens if we define ourselves by our success, by our, by our jobs, or by our, our ministries, or where we've served in a church. And then what happens if we're fired or laid off or asked to step down to allow other people to serve? Or perhaps maybe we've been centering our lives around our family, our marriages, our children, our friendships. And what happens if there's a divorce, or our kids move out, or our friends move away? When the things we place our identity in are challenged or confronted or disappear, it can shake us to our core. Our deepest sense of self cannot be found in things, in successes, or even people. It must be found in God. Not in categories, not in roles, not in success or failure. In Him. Nothing less than God will fully satisfy you. And nothing will sustain you other than him. Nothing else is worth it. Over and over, Paul uses terms like in Christ or in him or in love. He's using these in terms to describe who we could be if we recognize who we've always been meant to be. And find ourselves in Jesus. Because what we've been doing for ourselves hasn't got us to that fulfillment, to that fullness, to the life in all of its fullness that Jesus offers. That is the redemption of sin, the forgiveness that we need. It is only in Christ that can happen. So, who are you really? Are you your job? Are you your school? Are you your best friend or your spouse or your kids? Are you these things that you define yourself as, as an artist, as an accountant, as a mechanic, as a pastry chef, whatever it might be, are you those things? Maybe those are attributes of you. Maybe those are parts of the life you live. But is that really you? Because one day they won't be there anymore. You can only really find yourself in Christ. John Calvin, who was one of the leaders in the church reformation hundreds of years ago, wrote these things called the institutes of the Christian religion. And these institutes were meant to help us understand what we truly believe. And one of his first statements And this will be my paraphrase of it. One of his first statements is that we can't really know God if we don't know who we are, but we can't really know who we are if we don't know God. We need to spend time knowing God so we can know ourselves. I mean, think about it. If you really want to know how something works, wouldn't you ask the person who invented it or made it? If I really wanted to understand how this camera that I'm filming myself on worked, should I ask some guy on the street? Should I, you know, read internet blogs to discover it or watch YouTube videos? Sure, I might get something. But if I want to get all of it, the fullness, the beauty of it all, I ask the person who invented it or made it. 
you want to know who you are, go to your creator. Only in Christ will you know you are made holy, blameless in his sight. So who are you really? And is it working out for you? Well, I want to tell you who you are when you find yourself in Christ. When you find your identity, not in what you've done, whose family you're in, not in where you were born, not in any of these things that are things, and none of them are actually all that bad, but they're not really you. So who are you really in Christ? Well, you are chosen. You are holy and blameless in his sight. No matter how much wrong you think you've done, he doesn't see you by your wrong. He doesn't define you by your mistakes. You are adopted into his family. And next week we'll talk more about what that means, but it is something more special than you could ever imagine. You are redeemed in Christ. I mean, there was a price paid for you. You are forgiven, meaning you don't have to work off the mistakes you've done. It's forgiven. You were made for something. And you are marked with a seal. And no one can take that away from you. And you might have this little voice in the back of your head saying, yeah, you're not that blameless. Yeah, you're not that special. Why would he choose you? Doesn't he know what you did? Yes, he does. But it's not about you. It's about who you find yourself in. And that's in Jesus. And there is an enemy, Satan, who wants to move you far away from that. But only in Christ can you find your fullness of who you really are. And you can't keep listening to those little voices that keep saying, hide behind the mask. Let no one know you. Find yourself in Christ. So who are you really? Who do you want to be? Have those masks really worked out for you so far? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the God who sees us as holy and blameless in your sight. And that in Jesus, we are redeemed and forgiven. And I pray for us, all of us who have been chosen even before we knew we were born, you chose all of humanity to invite us to believe this truth. I pray that we know it's true and we embrace it and we live like it today, tomorrow, and forever. And I pray, Holy Spirit, when we hear that little voice that says, hide behind the masks, don't let anybody know you for real, that we let you silence it. And we don't try to find ourselves way that little voice wants us to. And we listen to you. Because in knowing you, Jesus, we know the creator of the universe. And we find ourselves holy and blameless in your sight, deeply loved, redeemed, forgiven, and made for a purpose. And I pray all this, that we find it to be true, that we embrace it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.